0: The scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 110, as is printed in your bulletin. Hear now the word of the Lord. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Thank you, Emily. Uh, Good morning, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, we're glad that you're here. Uh, We're continuing our summer series in the Psalms and just want you to remember that the Psalms were Israel's songbook. Uh, They weren't just poems that God's people read in private, although they did do that. They were primarily songs that they sang together in corporate worship, songs that shaped their identity and their hearts and their understanding of who God is and how they're to respond to him. Well today we, as, as Emily read, we're looking at Psalm 110. And at first glance, this doesn't look like it's the most important Psalm uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, but when we come to the New Testament, we find that it's actually the most quoted passage from any passage in the Psalms or any passage in the Old Testament as a whole. Um, it's quoted 24 times in the New Testament. So we actually find that this is actually a really, really important Psalm for us to understand who Jesus is and what he's about and what he came to do that's why the new testament writers quoted it so often and so um, please pray with me as we we look at psalm 110 together this morning father we thank you for your love for us we thank you for your kindness to us for sending your son to die for us that we might be yours Uh, we pray that you would open our hearts to your word this morning Um, help us to be attentive to it to see jesus and to fall on our knees in worship and in praise and to give ourselves away to him. Father, there are some of us that are tired and worn down, uh, encourage us. Father, there are some of us that need to be um, pointed back to you, every one of us do. Uh, Father, we need you open our lives and our hearts and our ears and our minds to you this morning. It's in Christ's name we come, amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we celebrated my daughter Ella's 10th birthday and it got me thinking about gifts and what we want and what we need and how those things often coincide or don't um ella asked for a few things she asked for you know a a pair of sunglasses a few pairs of clothes and she got those but we went in with megan's parents to get her a full-size keyboard um, and when she saw it she was so excited because it far exceeded any of her expectations for what her birthday was gonna look like. It was a far bigger and better gift than anything she even thought she could ask for. Um, And then that made me remember a a different story from when I was a kid, um, that I had this friend that she really was hoping for and was wanting a bike for her birthday. And when it came time for her to open her presents on her birthday, uh, there wasn't a bike there, there was a comforter for her bed um and she was so sad and so deflated uh, because all she could think about was getting this new bike and going it and riding around the neighborhood and showing her friends and impressing everyone around her with her new bike um, but this is the part of the story that you need to know is one we lived outside of Chicago and it was the middle of winter and her parents loved her so well that they even though they didn't get her everything she wanted, everything she thought she needed, um, they got her exactly what she needed because they knew at night she needed to be warm uh, when she slept because it's the middle of winter in Chicago. So her parents loved her really, really well to get her exactly what she needed. Um, And this is kind of a, a shadow the combination of those two stories is a, a, just a shadow of what we see here in Psalm 110, especially when we see Jesus talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 22. Um, you see, everyone in Jesus's day assumed that, that when David was writing this Psalm, he was actually re- referring to the promised Messiah that would come and would one day um, rid, rid Israel from all of their enemies. Um, and so Jesus asked this question uh, to to the to the Pharisees. And he, when he says, my Lord says to my Lord. So Jesus asked them, you know, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Um, and then the Pharisees answers, well, the son of David. And then Jesus says, well, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? You know, sidebar, shouldn't he have just called him this is my son, um, but he calls him his Lord. And then the, he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. What Jesus is pointing to here with the Jews in his day um, is that they were expecting and anticipating this political, this royal Messiah who would come and destroy all of their enemies. Um, They were wanting this one to come and to rule with a mighty scepter and to shatter the kings of Of their day with on his day of wrath and to judge the nations and to free them from the roman oppression that they were experiencing And it's very clear that this messiah does what they wanted but this messiah this messiah that jesus actually is does so much more and he accomplishes his victories in ways they couldn't even dare to imagine this jesus far exceeds their expectations and he far exceeds our expectations and he's better than anything we could ever hope for. What Jesus is subtly saying here in Matthew 22, what Psalm 110 is saying to us is that Jesus is not the Messiah that you wanted, but he's the Messiah that you need. He's not the one that you thought you wanted. He's the one that you desperately and finally need, and he far exceeds any of your expectations. So how is this Jesus uh, the one that we need? Well, first we see that this Messiah is the king that we need. He's seated at the right hand of the creator God, Yahweh, there. Uh, his authority, his, his kingship is given to him by the Lord. Verse 1 starts, it says, The Lord, and that Lord there is in all caps, and that's God's personal name that he gave to Israel. It's Yahweh. And that he is the creator God, and he's the one speaking here in verse 1. And so when the Lord says to this Messiah, Sit down at my right hand. Just what's, what's going on here? He's putting this person in the position of honor of delight of power of authority of sovereignty and the new testament really does help us see what's going on here and with peter in acts 234 peter says this david did not ascend to heaven yet he said and he quotes psalm 110 the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet let therefore let all israel be assured of this god has made this jesus whom you crucified both lord and messiah so what we see here is this King, this Jesus, this Messiah is superior. He's superior to David. He's not just David's son, he's David's Lord. And David was the greatest of all Kings. And so this Messiah is the greatest of all Kings. And by extension, he's the greatest of all men period. And then we go further. Hebrews 1:13 quotes verse one again, making the point that Jesus is superior, not just to men, but superior to the angels. So what we see here is that there is no one in heaven, no one on earth that is greater than Jesus. And in his greatness, we see how he actually functions as a king. What does this king do? Verses 1 and 2 and 5 and 6 show us that he's going to defeat all of his enemies. They're going to be made his footstool. He will rule in the midst of his enemies. He will shatter kings. He will execute judgment on the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. It's not really a a pleasant picture. That's why we don't read the psalm and and get really excited right away. Um, But this Jesus, this one who's superior to all, will conquer and defeat every one of his enemies. All those who oppose his kingdom, all those who oppose his purposes, all those who stand against him in defiance. There's no one ultimately, who can stand against this Jesus and win because there's no one greater. There's no one else on the throne that's ruling. And so you and I, we can take great comfort this morning in that truth that this Jesus is the one who controls and reigns over everything. That means we don't ultimately find our confidence in our security and in other kings, in, in other people, in our government, or in the economy, or in our political party, or in our jobs, or in our health, or in our families, or in where we go to school. None of that is, is, is our ultimate security and confidence. Jesus is on the throne right now, and this Psalm promises that he will have the final and the loudest word. And so injustice, lies, abuse, suffering, depression, racism, sickness, death, all of it has an expiration date. And Jesus' kingdom of love, of mercy, of compassion, of justice, of peace, of righteousness, it will one day win the day completely. And so if you're broken over the persecution of Christians across our world in Algeria or Syria or China or India, just to name a few countries, if you, if you weep over the injustices of sex trafficking here in Houston and across our world, if the racism and sexism that our brothers and sisters across our country experience drive you to your knees to lament and, and drive you to come alongside those who are suffering to advocate for and to love and to serve them, you know, if if the if the idea of death and incurable sickness makes you angry if the the coronavirus and the, the mental health effects and the physical effects and the economic effects, if they make you angry and lament and anguish and pain, you can take great comfort because this Psalm gives us the assurance this morning that this God, he cares infinitely more than you and I do. And he promises that he is going to do something about it. And in fact, he already has started this process because when Jesus comes to earth, as a baby and he's born into this world he came to defeat evil and sin and when he rose again from the cross he gave us the down payment that he will one day finally get rid of all sickness and sadness and death and wickedness finally and forever and so we have this guarantee that he is in the business of making all things new and we can take comfort this morning because this king is in control And as Abraham Kuyper said, there's not one square inch in all of creation where Jesus does not say mine. We serve a king who's in control and who oversees every aspect and every square inch of our lives and our world. My youth pastor uh, used to tell us this story that happened in Maryland one time uh, when he was in school that there was this bus driver who was taking a a group of elementary age children uh, to school in the morning and as he made his last stop he realized that the brakes were out in the bus and so he's picking up speed he's weaving in and out of traffic he's running red lights he's trying to do everything in his power to keep these children safe and all the while the children are screaming they're yelling they're crying and the driver finally sees an empty parking lot and so he drives into the parking lot and he's trying to circle and circle and circle and slow down to where he can finally just gently crash the bus so that he can prevent these children from being injured. And he finally gets the bus to stop and the news uh, crew has arrived at this point and they show up and they're interviewing the kids as they're coming off the bus. And you know, some of the kids are terrified and are screaming and crying and, and saying that it was terrible and it was the worst thing in the world. Others of them were really excited Um, They thought it was like a roller coaster, and they're like, can we go do that again? Um, And then one child comes off the bus, and the news reporter says, so, you know, what was going on in your mind during all of this? And the little boy looks at her and says, well, I don't know. I was asleep. (laughs) Sorry. And she goes, what do you mean you were asleep? Everyone was screaming. Everyone's crying. What are you talking about? And he goes, my dad's the bus driver. He always gets us to school on time. So you you see, knowing who was driving the bus for this child um, allowed him, in the midst of this chaos and the uncertainty and the fear and the confusion, knowing he could rest because he knew who was driving the bus. Now, Jesus isn't driving the bus like some out-of-control maniac right now, even though it often feels like it, but we have a God who is ruling and who is reigning even now seated on his throne, and there is nothing that he is not in control of, Um, so we can take comfort despite what's going on in our lives, despite what's going on in our world, because this God is in control and nothing escapes him, nothing gets by him, he's not surprised by anything, and he promises with his very own life that he is going to one day rid the world of his enemies and of all wickedness. And so you can take comfort this morning because this is the type of king that we serve, one who created all things, who abides over all things and who works out all things according to his purposes He's in control of the bus, and he's not asleep at the wheel. So how, but then we ask, okay, well, how does this Messiah actually take his throne? He doesn't just inherit, inherit it from on high. He is seated on the throne only after he gives up all of his power and weakness and through death. He's seated after coming in weakness as a baby. He's seated after being ignored, after being humiliated, after being beaten and mocked and murdered. Paul in Philippians 2 explains how Jesus came to his throne where he says this, He, although he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. This king is different because he gives up his power and he submits to death and he embraces weakness to become king. But this king isn't just a king who's superior to all, who's in control of everything, and he isn't just a king who defeats his enemies and will execute judgment. Verse 4 also tells us that he is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this king doesn't just destroy his enemies. He is a king priest who gathers a people for himself from his enemies. People in Jesus' day, again, we said, we thought, they thought that the Messiah was going to be this conquering king but as Jesus shows us and as Psalm 110 shows us this Jesus far exceeds their and our expectations for what we really need and what we really need is not just a king but we also need a priest and so how is this Jesus the priest that you and I need well, priests in the Old Testament, they came from the line of Levi and they stood before God and they represented the people before God and they offered sacrifices on their behalf for their sins so that God could remain in their midst and live in the midst of them, in the midst of broken and rebellious people that he adored and loved. But you have to know that priests were also sinful people too. Um, and their office of priests had an expiration date for them as well because they eventually died. But this priest, Jesus, doesn't come from the Old Testament line of Levi. He comes from, from the line of Melchizedek, the psalm says. Hebrews 7.3, it says this. It says this about Melchizedek. He was without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, you're asking, who is Melchizedek? Well, he's mentioned twice in the Bible, but and you need to know, one, that he's just a man, that the writer of Hebrews doesn't mean that he didn't have a mom or a dad, that he didn't actually die, but but literally in, in, in Genesis, he shows up for two seconds. He talks to Abraham, he blesses him, and then he disappears. And he's without mention of having lived for X amount of years and having died, and thus, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that the author of Genesis is helping us understand that his priesthood goes on forever and Jesus is this type of priest. Hebrews 17 says he is a priest though that on the basis of the power of an indestructible life this is how Jesus has become a priest Hebrews says. Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world and and death could not hold him so now because he is alive and he is alive forever there is no need for another priest for us. His priesthood, even though it's not from the line of Levi, it's not only valid, but it's superior in every way. Hebrews is arguing here that the Levitical sacrificial system is invalid now. 7 verse 12 says, when there's a change in priesthood, there's a change in law. So with Jesus now, there's a new way to relate to this God. You don't need a priest to offer continual sacrifices for you. You have the superior priest who sacrificed his life once and for all for you, and he makes it possible to be in such an intimate relationship with him that he doesn't just move into the neighborhood, as it were. He moves into your life. He moves inside of you. The old way is set aside because it's weak and it's insufficient to bring us to him. So when when our family, you know, I have three little kids, when we get into the car to go anywhere, we have to put Sawyer, our two-year-old, in her car seat. And I think you and I would both agree that the invention of the car seat is this awesome thing, and it saves many lives a year, and it's wonderful for our children. But it's useful only for a short period of time. Um, We don't put Ella in the car seat made for Sawyer right now. And when my kids are 16 years old, um, we're not going to put them in car seats because it's actually going to be dangerous for them to be in in a car seat at that time. And and that's what's going on here uh, with with this text here. At the time, the Old Testament system of sacrifice and the, the Levitical sacrifice, it was good, but only for a time. And so that's why David calls this new priesthood in this psalm because it's it's this one was this old one was insufficient we need a new priest we need a different priest we need a better priest the priests as we said they interceded continually with sacrifices that could never fully take away your guilt that could never fully pay for your sins that's why they had to keep doing them over and over again they could never really make you right with god but that's exactly what jesus's sacrifice does Hebrews 7 27 says, Jesus sacrificed for our sins once for all when he offered himself. All of your sins were paid for on the cross. Every one of them, from the moment that you were conceived and born, your first sin as a baby, to your last sin that you will have on your deathbed. Every one of them has been paid for by Jesus' blood. And Jesus' sacrifice is what makes us right with God. It doesn't need to be repeated. And it saves you completely, all the way, forever, and it can never be interrupted. This is why Hebrews seven eighteen says, a better hope is introduced. Jesus doesn't just live, die, and rise again for you. He continually intercedes on your behalf before the Father. That means he's constantly and never stops praying for you and covering you with his blood and with his love. That is happening forever for each and every one of us that rest in him. So this priest is vastly superior. And this high priest truly meets the things that we need. He's perfect for us and he is exactly what he needs. And then Hebrews goes on and tells us that he's tr- this Jesus is truly human. So that he can identify with every struggle, every temptation that you experience. And he represents you perfectly in his humanity. He understands what you're experiencing and he doesn't leave you, but he loves you and he drenches you with his compassion. But he's also holy and he's holy in relation to God. He, to God. He's God's holy one who by his holiness makes you holy. He's free from all that's evil and sinful in action and in motivation. He's completely pure and unstained, making him able to actually stand before God for you and I. He is the God man. He who's standing between God and us and by his death and by his resurrection he makes it possible for you to draw near to this God and to be in relationship with him. Jesus says elsewhere, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this Jesus makes it possible For you to come to the Father and to be in a right relationship with him. And he doesn't do it by saying, listen, you need to be good. You need to keep all these rules. You need to avoid these things and these people. And you need to do these things. And if you screw up, then you're done forever. That's not how this king works. That's not how this priest works. He accomplishes your life for him by dying for you and by crediting his perfect righteousness, his perfect account to you by grace because he loves you simply for no other reason so jesus priesthood is not only valid but it's vastly superior to the old way of relating to god so much so that it's the only way that you and i can relate to god now so if this is the king that we need and the priest that we need how are we to respond to this king and priest verse 3 says your people assuming those who've been conquered Offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. When we, who were once enemies of the Lord, give ourselves wholly to him, when we submit our whole lives, every aspect of our lives to him, because of his love for us, because he came into this world not to destroy us, even though he had every right to do that but instead he came to seek us out and to save us while we were still his enemies, to take all of our sin on himself on the cross and to die the death that you and I earned. And he was raised from the dead and he took the seat at the right hand of God the Father and he declared, it is finished, I am done, my work is done, all who are mine have access to the Father and to life through me now. When we see that he took his power through giving it up, so that he could draw us to himself and to make us his clothing, us in his righteousness, so that when God looks on us now, he actually sees his son, Jesus. When we see this great love and this great mercy that we didn't deserve and the great lengths that Jesus went to make us his own, there's no other response that we could have than I give you myself completely. I want to follow you. I want to give you myself. I'm going to follow you and give everything that I have to you. And then, we don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to to be afraid of God. We don't have to be afraid that he's gonna drop the hammer on us for failing. We don't have to be afraid that he's, because he doesn't motivate us by shame and he doesn't manipulate us with false and empty promises. We don't have to think that he's disappointed in us anymore because we're perpetually falling short over and over again because what you and I need to know that if you're resting in Jesus this morning, because of Jesus's once and for all sacrifice, if you lay yourself before him in faith and in repentance, you can take great comfort and great confidence and great assurance because if you are his, you have all, every bit of his love and his blessing. That you have the words that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism, that when God looked at Jesus and said, this is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. That, those words, that blessing is yours, and there's nothing that you can do to take it away, and Jesus promises that he will never remove that from you, no matter what, because he is faithful, and he loves you, and he is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you never give up on us, and that you come before us and go before us that your promises are true and perfect we thank you that that Jesus came and died for us that we can take great comfort during this time of uncertainty and confusion and frustration um, during this time of hurricanes and job loss and virtual homeschooling and political strife because even in the midst of our chaos and our hurt and our suffering and our brokenness even in the midst of those who would try to hurt us, we know that Jesus is on the throne reigning now. Please comfort us with that good news. Help us to to turn to you and to see that you love us and that you came for us and that you will one day do away with all that is broken. Give us great comfort and mercy this morning as we come to your table. It's in Christ's name we come now. Amen.